You're listening to Ants Talk. In 2003, my next guest was in Canberra with his then-girlfriend, now wife, meeting with a few uni friends and ending up at their house. It was then he was physically assaulted by a stranger. As we know, these random acts are increasing in Australia. So I wanted to ask more about his experience. Welcome to the show, Tom Adam. How are you, Tom? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you for coming on to the show. I appreciate it. So, Tom, can you tell us about that night? Yeah, so um, I suppose it's, I, as, I, as we talked before, I suppose it's one of those things that looking back on reflection, everybody has crystal, crystal, crystal clear 2020 vision when you look back. Um, but it was one of those nights that we came down to Canberra to visit relatives. We bumped into some friends. Uh, and for the people listening, I think it's one of those things that we've all been in a situation where you, we broke some of the rules that we all set for ourselves. So we didn't, you know, set the ground rules of where we were going to go, who we were going to catch up with. Uh, what time we were going to get home, how we were going to home and where we were going to go. And so we ended up just basically going out uh, and then it went pear-shaped at the end of it. Mm-hmm. So I know that the situation was a little bit weird because this stranger was almost hitting on your girlfriend, or wife, wife now, but girlfriend at the time, um, and you wanted to leave and so did she. And then that's when this fight came about yeah so we were i think we were sitting on a balcony outside um on the apartment and uh we were sitting and i was i was he was opposite her at the table and i was like if it was a table of three i was sort of one one side and my wife was on the right hand side and he was on the left hand side and he was making these overtures and everything and then she spoke to me in french and said and asked me if she wanted to go home if we we should go home she said and we were staying at her father's place who lives here Mm. um and uh and he just got really, really wound up by that because I responded. She said it in French and I responded, we, oui, in French, you know, yes. Uh, and he was like, what, you know, what's that? And like we were speaking some language that we were doing to offend him or we'd said something to offend him. And, you know, and, and the typical thing with alcohol, it was completely an irrational response because we were, you know, yes, we had been drinking or not, but neither of us had been drinking that heavily. Mm. Uh, and so we were both like, no, no, dude, it was just like, no, no. She said, I want to go home. And I said, no, let's go. Uh, and then he, and then again, I broke in one of my other rules as well. He, he was like, Oh fuck, you know, good luck with that. And, um, and I said stupidly back, you should never speak back to a drunk person. I just said, I really don't think I need any luck. Um, because we'd been living together. We had an apartment we owned together. Um, it was completely out of context. And then it just was on. He stood up out of his chair and he threw it back and he was just, you know, chest beating gorilla type activity. And, and we were like, okay, getting inside, getting our jackets, you know, talking to the host. And the host was apologetic. You can imagine, you know, we've all been in those yeah. situations. You can see the host just going, oh my God, guys, I'm so sorry. Like, you know, I'm sh- clearly it's just about the drink. And then he's going, oh, it's not about the alcohol. This guy's an asshole. And it's like, well, hang on a minute, you know. So we sort of made our way backwards out of the apartment, trying to make ourselves um, scarce. Mm. And there was this tight corridor that led towards the elevator. And we were sort of walking backwards and this guy was in my face and his mates were pulling, there's two mates. He was pulling his arms and saying, look, get back. And, and my girlfriend's sort of going, let's go, let's go. And I'm like, I'm trying to go, but I'm trying to get myself in between him and her. And, mm. and then just as we were, just as we were about to get into lift, the lift door open, we're thinking, yes, we're free. His big mate pushes him out of the way, reaches out his right hand to shake my hand and says, no hard feelings. I take the hand stupidly. And then he pulls me in and cracks me in the face with his head. Wow. Um, and uh, yeah, so it was, it was pretty traumatic. And then it wasn't until the next day that I actually had known that I'd injured myself. Um, Cause I say it like that, 
I don't say he injured me. I injured myself because I put myself there. Um, that I blew my nose and my face blew up the balloon. I had a two and a half centimeter crack on my uh, right cheek with a two and a half mil indent. Um, and wow. it looked pretty good on x-ray too. Um, lots of bubbles and cracks yeah. and things like that. Absolutely traumatic. I mean, um, I myself have been um, attacked randomly on the street in Sydney, especially because I'm gay. And when I was younger, people just, people from school that would come up and just hit me for no reason. Um, so I know exactly what you're talking about. It, it really rattles you. Immediately after, you are just like, what just happened? And that's what I was yeah. going to ask you. What were your yeah. feelings afterwards? Well, at the time, I mean, I played rugby and in my youth up until I was 20, I played rugby union and um, I made the distinction between it for the people listening. Rugby union, not rugby. <laughs> um, was it, uh, but, you know, so I'd been, I'd been sort of kicked and punched and tackled and, yeah. and, and never really had an issue. And I have an underbite, so I've never really had an issue with being knocked about. Um, and for me, I was, it was in complete shock, at, you know, that the whole reeling and trying to figure out you do that, you unpack, what did I do wrong? And we all ask ourselves the why me questions. Why, why, why did I, why was I assaulted? Why did that person have mm. a go? And look, rationally looking back, the guy had some kind of interest in um, my wife. Um, they all knew each other from uni and school from many years before. Um, but I think it had always been that sort of, uh, like he'd never really had a chance to speak to her. And there I was, the complete stranger in the situation. So everybody else in the apartment knew each other, yeah. except for me. And I'd sort of taken uh, my wife away from Canberra for three years and we'd come back just to visit. Um, and so the, the logic was that obviously he's got some kind of underlying issues or desires with interest in her. Um, and I've basically just, you know, been there. And then she's spoken to me in another language and that he's just taken that as an insult. Mm. Um, which I found con interesting considering I found out later on his ethnic background and his whole family speaks another language at home. So um, <laughs> it was really interesting. So I think it was one of those things that when you break it down that, um, you know, drunk people never make rational decisions. No. Uh, and the, the, the verbacity, the, I, I can speak as well uh, intoxicated as I can um, sober. Uh, and that tends to intimidate people. And as my wife has put many times since, in other times we've been out drinking and a few things and she sort of said, just lower the word count or um, <laughs> use small words or um, something like that. But it's, but also maybe perhaps there's a little bit of, because of my experiences since, and then looking back, there's a little bit of my victim mentality. I tried to engage the person in conversation mm -hmm. instead of making it clear that I, that was enough. Um, I probably put my, my body in a position that was, um, uh, fairly confronting rather than trying to sort of uh, abate the situation. Uh, and of course, finally, um, I learnt, I've learned many techniques since then, but uh, you should never take a drunk person's hand uh, when, they're, when they're being aggro, regardless of whether they're the ag agitator or not. Yeah. You know, even just your story, it, it opens your eyes to what hap actually happens out there every Friday and Saturday night and these random punching attacks and people losing their lives, etc. It can happen in just a split second. And it, alcohol is such an evil for those sort of things because people really do act irrationally. Well, it, the problem is, and, and, and before we even, hopefully we don't go down this train of thought, people use alcohol as an excuse. Exactly. Cultural problem that we have within, particularly in Australia and some places that I've visited within the US, that they, they use alcohol. All alcohol does is take your mask off. 
Yeah. All alcohol does is take away the mask. So if you're an asshole when you're drunk, you are an asshole in real life and you just yeah. put a fake mask on. Very um, true. I, when I have a few drinks, I want to fall asleep on the couch and watch TV. Uh, that's, I'm like that, the same person in and out. See, I'm, um, and the I think, I'm the person that meets everybody in the room and dances on the table. <laughs> that's okay. That, and, that's, and, and look, there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's when people use alcohol as an excuse as to why they become verbal, uh, mm. verbally abusive or physically abusive, there's underlying issues there. And that, again, as we'll go into, no doubt, um, my experiences and my training has taught me since then that, you know, realistically, um, like arguing with a stupid person, often you can't rationalise with someone who's drunk because yeah. that part of the brain has been switched off because that's why they're aggro. Yeah. And it's funny, you would think that people would realise that once they've been in a situation where they've acted like that and maybe they've sobered up the next day and their friends have told them how they've acted, you maybe don't want to drink again. <laughs> Might no, be a, a good tip. Say, a lot of people say they're going to give up drinking the next day every yeah, day. Well, very but, true. Who put this the other day that alcohol, um, the reason that people continue to do it is because the, the side effect isn't then and there. It yeah. is the next day. So if you, if, you, if you walk in front of a car, you get hit, you are injured then and there. Whereas you drink alcohol and the hangover happens 12 hours later. And so there's a kind of a reflection, oh, that wasn't too bad. If you got drunk and then had a hangover straight away, I guarantee you wouldn't drink as much as yeah. you do. <laughs> so true, so true. So was that person ever charged over the assault? No, I never followed through with it. I, I didn't know who, I didn't even know his name. I, I didn't even... And this, again, I broke the rules of, you know, like modern day, I suppose, today under this, this COVID-19 crisis that we're in right now. You know everybody that comes around, their details, everything. Yeah. But no, I, I, I don't even, looking back, I could probably find the building that we're in, not the number. I'd have to search long and hard to find the person and then track them down. Uh, no, to be honest, I was just happy to get away from the situation. And like many people do, it's a, a fairly underreported thing. Yeah. Um, time i didn't think it was too dramatic uh and it wasn't until you know 18 hours later that i realized that i was actually injured and i didn't think it was that bad until the hospital on the sunday morning so that was a friday night 3 a.m saturday morning i suppose it was sunday morning at nine o'clock when i truly discovered that my face had had been cracked and Mm. and, um i should have known i could taste it oh god (laughs) that's terrible (laughs) yeah I know that after this, you actually started your own martial arts school. Tell us more about that. Yeah, so that, yeah, that, that's, the, that's a real short segue into what actually happened. So I know. We, yeah, that, well, that's right. So I, we were living in Sydney at the time and we had an apartment in Sydney and, um, and neither of us were truly happy in our roles. That, you know, if, if we go into the, 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 the psychology of it, like we went from living in a place that was 30 minutes from town to this train network collapse. It became an hour and a half every oh. way. Um, and our jobs were sort of, were unexciting. So you're leaving at work at seven and finishing at seven and, you know, get, leaving in the dark, getting home in the dark. And then, you know, your weekends, you just wanted to relax and chill because you were just sick of traveling on the train. And then a, an opportunity came up for me to work with my, my family business and interior design and, and renovation business on the Gold Coast. And we just sold up and packed up and moved up there. And, and in, through that period, I had been soul searching. And, and, you know, when you go to catch the train, you're looking around like a ferret. And, and uh, you know, and I, I went back to the Gold Coast. And when we went back, I, I, I grew up there. So I was like, look, I'll, I'll, I'll find something that, I, that I'm interested in. I did Taekwondo as a kid. I did Judo. And so when the situation happened, and this is what, what really reeled for me, was that 
at the time, I did judo as a kid. So I knew what happened if somebody had a hold of my jacket, you know, they were sort of shaking me. Mm. And I did Taekwondo. So if somebody lined up their kicks and punches, I knew how to deal with that. So I felt confident. The guy had smashed me in the face, shaking my hand. It completely crushed me. And so I did a bit of looking around on the Gold Coast and I was like, I can't go back to Taekwondo and judo is not suitable. I have to find something. I walked up to a few gyms and didn't walk in for the smell of them. <laughs> I, I, I remember that vividly one place just walking up and going, oh no, I'm not going in there. And then I finally settled on this, this uh, club and I went in there just to watch. And I'll never forget the guy, the big instructor. Um, he stood beside me. He didn't stand in front of me. So, cause I went, he went to shake, put my hand out. He put his hand out and shake me. And I, obviously I reacted mm. and he didn't, didn't flinch or anything. He just moved to my right hand side and then he put his hand out that way. And he put his left hand around my shoulder and he was about a foot taller than me. Um, Angus he's like it, fascinating instructor anyway, was it? Um, and I said, look, I'd like to watch. And I vividly remember saying him saying, nobody watches here. <laughs> and, um, and then at the end of it, I was doing that whole shut up and take my money. Uh, <laughs> you know, I had such a great time because it was that I do, I teach, I, I learned Hapkido and I went from zero classes a week uh, to eight classes a week, plus two private sessions. Wow. I, you know, I, I probably went through the system faster than any martial artist would probably appreciate listening. They'd be like, Oh, you did it too quickly. But I was working with a ninth degree black belt and a fifth degree black belt every day. And I fell in love. Um, and it was, you know, my outlet. So I worked from sort of six in the morning until four. And then I trained from five until seven. And then, you know, the lifestyle was great. We went from this rubbish lifestyle in Sydney to this lifestyle where my wife would, you know, I get home from uh, training and she'd been sunbaking and swimming in the pool. And, you know, we had dinner together and it was great. So then fast forward five years um, and uh, I'd gotten my fourth degree, like just through sheer determination and will. And my wife got an opportunity to, to move to Canberra for work. And she's like, what do we do? And I was like, take the job. You know, she'd been out of work for a couple of years. Well, she started the business on the side while she had her two eldest children. We've got three now. And um, she was looking for work, full-time job on the Gold Coast. And there was 50, 60 people applying for yeah. one job. And this is the end of 2010. And um, yeah. And so a few jobs came up in Canberra. And we had no money. We were dirt poor. We'd be, oh, if I t went into what with this, this scenario in terms of our personal finance, it was just, it was disgusting. <laughs> and, um, you know, two kids and the GFC and mm. everything you can imagine. And um, was it, uh, yeah, anyway, so she got the job and we had literally two weeks to move down to Canberra. And I, we moved down here. We got the family down here. There's a funny story about moving. We won't go into with the cats and the two kids and two cats and two cars, we said. <laughs> and, uh, and we got to Canberra. And I said, look, oh, it'll take me six months to get a job. I'll mind the girls and I'll do this. And I had a, a job in a week. And, uh, and then I said, look, I'll start a club. And at the end of the first year, I'll have 10 members. And at the end of the first year, we had at least 50 members. Wow. And, um, and so that was 10 years ago. And so now we're post-COVID, we've just tipped over 300 members again. Wow. We've got 17 instructors. We teach about 50 classes a week. And I don't teach all of those, thank God. Um, and it's just been one of those things that in the last 10 years I've gone from working in the public service with the golden handcuffs of a very very overpaid job and I say that word carefully overpaid in the mm -hmm. APS to you know going through to running my own business and, and doing it the way it is and, and then getting through this crisis it's been it's been an interesting ride. It's amazing too that you've turned literally turned your passion into something that you now helps you to survive really. 
Yeah, look, it's, it's uh, you know, and one of the things I teach, I, I do a, every sort of month or so, I do a, a women's self-defense course and I go through the mindset of how to deal with an assault mm. and the, you know, talking about the why and the what and then the how. And if you pontificate on the why is when you get injured. If you think about why the person is assaulting you, you're wasting time. At that precise moment, you're, you should be thinking about what next? What can you do? How do I get away? What do I need to do to stop this person? And uh, being an internal optimist, I kind of approach my business a little bit like that. I sort of, I go, okay, what needs to happen now? and What next? And then the times when I'm thinking about why is when I, um, when I uh, I've finished for the day and I'm thinking about <laughs> why did I do that or yeah. whatever. But the women's self-defense course is my dessert, my, the thing that I enjoy the most. And, and I, I run those um, to give back to the, to, to the community because I know so many women, so many more women than men have faced um, these sorts of situations. And it's not so much about physically defending yourself. It's really about the emotional and mental empowerment. Yeah, and, that's I, where, and that's where I've gotten my business to the point. And that's why I've done it because I had to go back to the start of my own life and think I'd lost my own empowerment. I lost my self-confidence. Con- lost my and I had to rebuild that and re-empower myself. And sure, I've had knockbacks since then, but I've been able to just get up and dust myself off and, and go from there. Mm. Subscribe to Ants Talk. Funny enough, I actually did a little bit of martial arts myself through a friend of mine. He'd been taught properly where he just said, oh, let me show you a few tricks and stuff like that. And I mm. must say that I really did love it and I really enjoyed it and it did give me a lot of knowledge, which I obviously absorbed. And even though years later, I hadn't thought about it again, I still remembered the moves and stuff like that. But that was one of the things that got me out of one of the assaults because Mm. I was actually walking in the streets of Sydney, walking home from work one night and these two guys tried to rob me and one of them had a knife to my throat. And One of the moves I was able to do was to swing my hand up behind me and knock him in the face. He let, he dropped the knife and I actually was then able to run away. Unfortunately, I had a bag that was around my waist so they could grab the bag and pull me back in. But I had then people's come and save me and stuff like that. But it was that one move that just came out of me automatically. And it was absolutely amazing. And going back to your point, you were just talking about with women. I really think it is essential for women to learn and it's not just about the techniques and the moves and, you know, the ability to do it. But as you said, it's the mindset because I do think that it makes you feel a lot stronger and a lot more able to handle situations like that. And we know as men that we, you know, our lives are so different to women because women get accosted in nightclubs, shopping centers, Mm. you know, and even if it's not just, um, physical abuse it's 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 touching it's you know inappropriate touching it's it's things where they just want to get out away from a situation where having these skills really would improve things for them yeah absolutely i think it's uh i mean i own two daughters my eldest is gonna be 12 in a few weeks and um and she's been learning since she's three That's so she was good. three and my um, and my other one and my youngest is now four and he's been learning for a year and it's one of those things that sort of I want to instill with them the confidence not to assault someone, but to have the confidence. Like, cause I, I always, the first thing, the first rule is to, if you rule number one, don't be there. If you can avoid the situation. Exactly. Fantastic. But not often that rule number one can't apply if you're trapped in a corner or, um, and quite often 
most assaults happen with people that you know, which is mm. really scary. Um, and so you can't get away. And so to have the, to empower them with the choice to be able to take the necessary actions to stop that person or, and, and to look, to go into it, there is a, um, you can hear the dog drinking next to me. Was <laughs> it to go into it? There is the, the psychology of when somebody goes to assault you, they write a script, they write a script before they do it. And then whether they write that script then and there, and it's a poorly worded script or whether they've been thinking about it for a while, but there is some form of, I'm going to do this and you're the victim and you're going to behave like this. And so what I do is I teach my, I'm teaching my girls as well to say to them, stop the script. So the first thing you're going to do is they think that you're going to behave like a victim. So if you don't behave like a victim, the script starts to get derailed. And mm. for most people, most people who get aggro and they start an assault, the, the script is broken and they stop. But then the rare next is what you need to do is actually get them to start thinking about themselves. Mm. And how do you do that is you don't give them the opportunity to strike. You block, you, you defend, um, you reposition, uh, and then you uh, retaliate. And it doesn't have to be, and it will never be a death blow one time off. Um, so we talk about retaliation and getting your 5% wins. Because if you get 25% wins, it's 100%. But if you go for a 100% killer blow and you miss it, you're demoralized. Yeah. So look for those wins. Block a strike. Smack them back. Use your voice. Get them to take a step back. Look for the tiny 5%, 5% wins and how do you get through it? And then, unfortunately, the sad side is you've got to look at the other side where they're physically incapable of defending themselves. Mm. And we talk about the mindset and I've been in one of these situations where you just basically lock down and you just take care of your mind because your body can take so much. But if you give up in the mind, you will never, ever recover. Yeah. And that's where I struggled at the start. As I started to give up in the mind, I didn't think I was truly capable. And now I've traveled the world and I've trained with these amazing instructors and I've done all this stuff and I train with these amazing women. And I realized that you need to first, first rule is basically believe in yourself that even if you can't win physically, you need to win mentally. Because mm. if you give up mentally, you've let them win completely. That's it, exactly. Now, there's a lot of talk these days on toxic masculinity. Mm. Do you think that men are more physical beings? I think that we are taught to be through uh, gender stereotypes. Yes. Yeah. So, but not all of us, because... I don't remember being a specifically physical child. Like I wasn't really like, I didn't like getting into fights. I didn't like wrestling, but I had grew up in a house with three sisters. Mm. And so we learned how to verbal each other. Like we learned, you know, the punch in the arm was pretty much the, you know, the, the strictest thing that it got to, but you know, we, we learned to use our words. Our words were more important than physical. I never saw my father or my stepfather raise a hand. So I, I, I didn't grow up in that sort of environment where you needed to physically dominate to win an argument. And I think that's where you talk about being physical beings. I think too many men have been given permission or believe that they have permission to use violence to solve a problem. Yeah, um, I agree. And, you know, and if you don't know how to use your words to convey an emotion, you're going to lash out, whether that's yelling, shouting, screaming or physical violence. Mm. so i would say that the gender stereotypes very much boys rough and tough you know go play rugby tackle you know punchy punchy um you know and the women you know they hear that be ladylike i remember hearing my sisters be ladylike and don't be rude and don't do this and don't do that but you know like it's that's it's a sad fact but how do you change it 
that's the question, isn't it? That's it. Yeah. I mean, through education, I think, think this is stuff that should be taught at schools because it's like everything that, um, happens with anyone growing up. It's, it's what we're educated on what we're, because I don't think anyone's born violent. I think it's something that we, we pick up and we grow and we see other people doing and it's learned behavior and taught behavior. It's the same as being a homophobe or being a racist or anything like that. It's something that no one's born to be those things. It's, it's things that we're actually taught. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and that, that, that's, it's, it's whatever, there's a, a great meme that's going out at the moment. And there's a kid that lashing out and the t- kid's tongue goes through their head into their parent's mouth. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, like I was raised, I went to an international school and, you know, we had people of all ethnicities and, um, you know, like I was raised that you don't, you don't use violence to solve problems. For me, violence is the last resort. Um, but a lot of people, again, it's the whole alcohol thing. They use it as an mm. excuse. They, you know, they, they, I don't have, if people say things like, I didn't know how to get her to shut up. That's what I heard an expression once out of a guy. Wow. I'm like, dude, like, first of all, she's talking to you. You need to listen to what she's saying. Um, second of all, you don't ever need to hit someone to get them to stop talking. No. Like that is, that's like, but they get, but that's, that's how parents treat their kids. Mm. Um, you know, I've ticked off my kids recently. I want them to stop talking, but I don't lash out and smash them. You know, like it's, you know, stop talking. It's, you know, like stop back chatting. But then again, why are they back chatting? Nobody, we don't learn how to unpack the reality of where, we're, where it comes from, which is frightening. Another thing we don't learn is to walk away. <laughs> Simple. Yes. Fact. Yeah. Well, quite often you feel that you're taught that's a little bit sort of cowardly, isn't it? Like it's sort of... Mm. You know, like, whereas I, I, I like one of my first martial arts instructors that taught me, he's like, you know, cowards live till tomorrow. So run away. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I'm quite happy to run away. Oh, me too. I'll be, yeah, you won't see me for light. <laughs> I, I remember, uh, I remember uh, a fun story for, uh, uh, I was walking along the South Bank in Melbourne back in, way back in 1999 as a bright eyed 20 year old. And I was walking along and uh, I remember these, this guy walking towards me and, and I'll use the, it was a bit Geordie, t- toes turned out, walking wobbly, you know. <laughs> goes, Boy, that's a nice watch. And I looked down at my watch, looked at the time, looked at where I was going, looked at him and then started running. <laughs> <laughs> I love <laughs> sprinted it. My, and I got to where I was going, I'm sweating. Everyone's like, what are you sweating about? Nothing. Everything's fine. <laughs> I still have my watch. Do you like it? <laughs> I love it. That's classic. So tell us about the core values of the school. Uh, I would think that our core value, uh, number one core value is fun, safe, then martial arts. And so we work on that, those values, particularly with the kids. It's a lifetime of learning, but you've got to have a great time to be open enough to learn. Uh, It has to be safe. I mean, I've trained in some locations and I've trained with some people and I've got some injuries because of them. And so we have a strict policy of, you know, avoid injury at all costs. The accidents happen. I mean, mm. it's a martial arts club. It's bound to happen. Um, but then, then getting to the training. So everything has to be fun. Then it's safe. And then martial arts. And then that's the ethos. And then people have come to me. I've had three other martial arts styles bring their clubs and merge them with mine based mm. on that. We have other values that we have that are up on the wall and, you know, show compassion and respect um think of what you can do first rather than what you can't uh and and many others that really it's it's all about um empowering yourself to 
make the right decisions. Mm. And, mm. Um, and we, that our vision is to offer fitness and martial arts programs unlike anything else available. And I think we're doing a great job so far and I can't wait to see where the next 12 months to 18 months take us through because if we can get through this, we can get through anything. Exactly, exactly. That's amazing. Tom, I really appreciate your time. Can you actually tell people where they can find more about you? Yeah, so Canberra Martial Arts and Fitness, we're at canberramartialarts.com.au um, and uh, we're at uh, Townsend Street in Phillip in Canberra, in Woden. Uh, that's basically smack bang in the nation's capital, um, right on, the, on the, the main street in the commercial area there. But uh, yeah, canberramartialarts.com.au is the best place to find us and, um, or find us on uh, Facebook and Instagram. Fantastic. Tom, I really appreciate your time. Thank you for coming onto the show and I shall speak to you soon. It's my pleasure. Thanks so much. Thank you. Ants Talk. It's like Oprah, but not.